great. So um, I, I've been talking with a lot of the teachers and administrators and obviously Amanda, the principal, and they are just so incredibly grateful for what we were able to do. And let me just repeat what I said earlier, that there's no way any of us could have done this individually, but, uh, but just coming together and giving like this made a, a huge, huge blessing for the teachers and staff down at West Cypress Hills Elementary School. So thank you, everybody. Come on, put your hands together again for that. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. I was like, Logan, I couldn't figure out what day it was when you didn't have church last Sunday. Did anybody, anybody want to admit that they came last Sunday and nobody was here? All right, very good. Um, well, if you get your Bibles out, I have a message here this morning. We're going to start a, a new series for the next four weeks. Um, we're, a lot of times as community pastors at One Chapel, we're, we kind of do the same thing and types of messages that we're doing in Austin and Kyle and Lake Travis. And, and we're, this, these next four weeks, uh, as community pastors, we're communicating something just specifically for our congregation. And so Austin's not getting this message, Kyle's not getting this message, this is just for us. And what I feel like God put in my heart as we launch into this next year, and this new series that we're um, dealing with or talking about is called Restart. And um, how will this year be different? And I think it's a great question. Because when you, when you think about it, so many of us, when we launch into a new year, we have these New Year's resolutions, right? And so we start thinking about all the different plans, financial um, plans that we're going to put together, diet plans, exercise plans, health plans, relational plans, and that tends to be how we attack a new year. But let me just suggest to you that as, as good as those things are, if you don't address the spiritual blockage in your life, you'll never really move forward in what God has for you. And I think a lot of us, we tend to forget it. We tend to think just about the natural stuff, and we forget about the spiritual stuff. But look at this um, passage here in Ephesians chapter 6. This is the end of a book the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Ephesus. And look at his final words. He said this in verse 10. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. How many of you know that the devil has strategies to destroy your life? Jesus said it himself that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so if you, if you don't realize that, then unknowingly you can be a victim of his strategies. He goes on and says, for we are not fighting, though, against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing. And so as much as it's important to put in physical plans, if that's all you do, if all you do to put together is a health plan, a diet plan, an exercise plan, a relational plan, a financial plan, if you don't put in a spiritual plan, these strategies that the devil have will continue to thwart you and keep you stuck and entrenched in areas of your life. And so I think for so many of us, we forget about that. We have to contend with these demonic spiritual powers that actually have strategies in our life to destroy our lives and to destroy any sort of kingdom movement and kingdom advancement in your life. And so over these next couple of weeks, I want to kind of talk to you about this. How do we do this? 
How do we contend and how do we address these different demonic spiritual strategies that are in place to keep you stuck? And so to start with, we're going to actually look at something a little bit differently. So get your Bibles out and we're going to go to Numbers chapter 33, verse 2, clear back in the Old Testament part of your Bible. And it says this, at the Lord's direction, Moses kept a written record of their progress. These are the stages of their march, identified by the different places where they stopped along the way. Now, I want you to notice three things in this verse. Number one, Moses kept a written record of their progress. In other words, he wrote down what it was that God did in and through them as they journeyed out of slavery in Egypt to what God had promised for them. Number two, there were stages to their journey. There are actual stages to this progression, to this journey that they were on. And if you study this, there's actually 46 different stages. We're not going to have time to look at all of those. And then number three, it was from the Lord's direction that Moses wrote all of this down. In other words, there was something about this and this journey that they were going on that God wanted to make sure that they would remember. And so it was the Lord's initiation for Moses to actually write these things down. George Santayana, who was a Spanish philosopher in the early 1900s, he said this. He said, progress, far from consisting in change, depends on retentiveness. When change is absolute, there remains no being to improve and no direction is set for possible improvement. And when experience is not retained, as among savages, infancy is perpetual. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. This is such a, such a, a huge quote that I think I want to put inside of you as you launch here in 2008. So if we don't remember, if we don't remember what God has done in our lives in the past, if we don't remember what God has done in other people's lives in the past, then we're just condemned to keep repeating the past over and over and over without any sort of advancement. Oswald Chambers is one of my favorite authors. He said, beware of harking back to what you were once when God wants you to be something you have never been. Come on, turn to your neighbor, look at your neighbor in the eyes, look him in the eyes and tell your neighbor, God wants you to be something you've never been. I say that and I want you to hear that because I think for so many of us, we approach maybe a new year or we approach um, the different decisions that we're making with still kind of the same filters. And it's so easy just to keep falling back into the same old, same old, even though we may want something different. But how many of you know that when God's doing something different, you need to be prepared for your life to be different? And so you can't just keep falling back and doing the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. You know what that is? It's insanity, right? And so we got to come out of this insanity, and we need to look at what God is doing in a different way. And then King Solomon around 950 BC, he said it this way in Proverbs 29, verse 18. He says, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. The NIV translates this way, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. And then the message, paraphrase it this way, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. The reason why I wanted to read these quotes to you here this, this morning, this afternoon now, the reason why I wanted to read these quotes is because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the apostle Paul, he describes for us that what the Israelites went, to, went through as they journeyed out 
of slavery into freedom and into all the promises that God had for them, that what they experienced and what they went through are actually examples and warnings for you and for me. This is the reason why for me, I love to read the Old Testament because I don't just read it for history and for stories, but I'm reading it, letting the Holy Spirit speak to me. What's, what's, what's this mean for my life right here and right now? That's what the Apostle Paul's describing here. Look at this verse in 11. It says, these are all warning markers, danger, in our history books written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They're at the beginning, we at the end, and we are just as capable of messing it up as they were. How many of you read this, in any of the Old Testament stories and think, what in the world were they thinking? But here's what he's saying. We are just as susceptible as they are of messing it, messing it up. So don't be naive and self-confident. You're not exempt. You could fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about self-confidence. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. And so what we're going to do is, what I want to do is kind of take you on a little bit of a journey over these next several weeks and look at several of these different stages that the Israelites went through. Because I really believe it's true that we have a tendency to fall back into the ruts of the past. And if we can't remember what God has done in the past, then we'll just be condemned to repeat it over and over and over again. We'll just keep stumbling over ourselves. And so I believe, just as the Apostle Paul says, that God has given us some clues in these stages that they went through coming out of Egypt and into the promised land that are so critical for us, points that are critical for you and for me to take in order for us to see kingdom movement and us to see kingdom advancement in our own lives. And so the stage that I want to talk to you about here this afternoon is at a place called Kibrath Hatah Avah. That's how it's pronounced. Look at this in Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. It says, Now the people complained about their hardships in the hearing of the Lord. And when he heard them, his anger was aroused. Then fire from the Lord burned among them, consumed them of the outskirts of the camp. When the people cried out to Moses, he prayed to the Lord, and fire died down. So that place was called Tabarah. Because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We, would re we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. I find this such a funny statement here. Because remember, they were slaves. They were slaves. And they're, thinking, they're looking back on their slavery with rose-colored glasses, thinking we had all these great things to eat, but yet they're whipped, they were beaten, they were killed for a little bit of food. It's just funny to read. Verse 6, but now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The manna was like coriander seed and looked like resin. The people went around gathering it and then and ground it in a handmill or crushed it in a mortar. They, looked, they cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes, and it tasted like something made with olive oil. When the dew settled on the camp at night, the manna also came down. Moses heard the people of every family wailing, each at the entrance of his tent. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you to put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land? You promise an oath to their fathers. Where can I get meat for all of these people? They keep wailing to me. Give 
us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If you read all this, Moses is quite the drama queen here. And if you remember, he's the one writing this in Scripture. This is his handwriting, writing these things. And I mean, he is, he's funny to read when you, when you think it's Moses writing these things, but he's being a drama queen here in these verses. He goes on and says, so verse 15, he says, If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I found favor in your eyes and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meetings that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will, have not, you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Now, the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. You will eat it, for not just for one day, not for two days, not for five, not 10 or 20 days, but for a whole month until, you, until it comes out of your nostrils, and you loathe it because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and you have well before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? I think every leader sometime would like to have one of these little verbal spouts at time, different times. But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough of all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and, and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the 70 elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Meddad had, had remained in the camp. There, they were listed among the elders, but did not go out into the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Meddad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been with Moses' aid since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and then the Lord would put his spirit on them. This was a, a prophecy for what was to come. When Jesus came, his Holy Spirit was released upon every one of us. This is the difference between us and the people that we read in the Old Testament. God's spirit would just come on one person from time to time and come on and off, on and off. Because again, God can't stand in the midst of sin. What Jesus did is broke all that apart. So now the very presence of God can reside on you. You can hear God's voice. You can know God for yourself. It doesn't just come and go. It actually rests on us. And that he's making this prophecy of what is to come. And then Moses and the elders returned to the camp. Now, a wind went from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail um, and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 omers. Then they spread them all around the camp. But while the meat was still between their teeth and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. Therefore, the place was named Kibrath Hatavah, because they buried the people 
who had craved other food. Now, it's a long way to get to this point of understanding what was going on here because they name this place, this stage that the Israelites went through, these words, Kibreth Hatavah. And those words in the original Hebrew language means this. It means the graves of desire, the graves of longing, the graves of greed, the graves of craving. And so that's what they named this place. This became a stage in their journey. So I want you to think about this. Because why, why was it that they had to go through this stage? In order, in order for them to move forward in their journey with God, God brought them actually to this stage, the stage of Kibbeth um, Hata'avah, where they had to die to their own desires. They had to die to their own longings. They had to die to their own cravings, to their own greed. In Psalms chapter 46, the psalmist describes this stage as an actual command. Psalms 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The words be still is the Hebrew word rapha, which means to be weak, to let go, to release. The noun form of this word actually means the place of the dead. And so here the psalmist is describing that this stage is actually a command, that God commands us to be still. He commands us to let go. He commands us to surrender. He commands us to die to ourselves. And so, again, I want you to think about that because why is it so imperative for us to go through this stage at Kibrith Hatavah in our movement and journey with God? In other words, why is it so imperative for us to go through the graves of desire, the graves of longing, the graves of greed, the graves of craving? Why is this so important for every single one of us in our journey? Well, before I answer that question, I want you to jump to this passage in Joshua chapter 14, because over the next several weeks, we're going to look at a guy by the name of Caleb and his journey with the Lord. Look at this in Joshua 14, verse 6. It says, now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenzanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, follow the Lord my God wholeheartedly, so that... So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now, let me give you kind of the backstory here so you can get caught up with what's going on because we're talking about the Israelites' journey here. And remember, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. So five generations of people have been enslaved in Egypt until God dramatically delivers them through a guy by the name of Moses. And so Moses leads this two and a half to three million Israelites out of Egypt to this land that God had designated for them. And once they reached the outskirts of that land, the Israelites decided we ought to send some men to spy out this area just to check it to make sure that we can do all of this. And this is what happened. Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. 
But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up and with him said, we can't attack these, those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report among, about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. And so as a result of this report, even though they saw the reality of the amazing promises that God had spoken, that they were actually true, and even though Caleb voices and has this rally cry, we can do this. God's brought us to this point. We can do this. This is the land that God has given us, even though that was true because of the giants in the land, their faith turned to fear. And as a result, they rebelled against God and Moses and refused to go into this land that God had brought them to. And so God issued this judgment on them, Numbers 14, verse 21. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promise on oath to their forefathers. Not one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because of my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And so for 40 years, the Israelites wander in this desert, just outside of the promises that were just so tangible. They were right there. They wandered in this desert for 40 years until every single one of them died except for Caleb and Joshua of that generation. Only their children and grandchildren were then alive, which then brings me to Joshua 14, verse 10, where Caleb said this again, and now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the, in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going and for coming. Now, therefore, give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke in this day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Now, I want you to try to put yourself in Caleb's shoes here just a little bit to understand what was going on with him. Because when you've been a slave for 40 years and you've been a part of a family who's been enslaved for five generations. And when you have personally then experienced God's mighty delivering hand to take you out of slavery into freedom, but when you've personally, you've tasted and seen the promised land for yourself, but you're part of this group of people who just can't believe God, and as a result of their unbelief, you're a part of this grouping of people who has to wander in this desert, circling this mountain for 40 years. But now, finally, 
It's come together and you've been given the opportunity for your wish to be granted. What is your wish going to be? You've traveled so far. You've seen so much. You've endured so much. And now you're back. What's your wish going to be? What are you going to wish for? You've been faithful. You've served wholeheartedly. You've devoted yourself to God. And so now what do you want your inheritance to be? Well, if you haven't gone through this stage at Kibrith Hata'ava, if you haven't gone through that stage, then your desires and your wishes and your wants are going to be completely self-centered. And they're going to fall way short of what it is that God has for your life, the purpose of your life. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, there's a root of sinful self-interest in us that's at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. Verse 19, it is obvious what kind of life develops of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming, yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. He's describing this junk that's in every single one of us. And listen, folks, left to your own devices, this is the junk that will come out of you. Come on, folks, you know what I'm talking about, right? Left to your own devices, this junk comes outside of us. But when you let God take you willingly through this kibbeth hata'avah stage, where you die to your own desires, where you die to your own longings, where you die to your own greed, you die to your own cravings, you die to the right to be right and the right to have it your own way. When you allow that to die within you and you're being still and you're letting go and you're surrendering your will to God, then what what happens is look what the Apostle Paul describes what will happen. Galatians 5 verse 22, but what happens when we live God's way, he brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. This is the essence of where Caleb was. He was at this point in his life, this crossroads of what what was going to happen to his life. He had endured so much. He had seen so much. He had tasted so much. But now he's given this opportunity. What do you want your inheritance to be? What do you want your wish to be here? God was granting that for him. And listen, folks, nobody in the world would have thought twice about it if Caleb would have just said, I want to use my inheritance on me. I need to take a long break. This has been hard. I want to take a long, long vacation on some island in the Caribbean, and I just need to, I just need to rest, get away from all you all people, and I just need to be by myself. This has been hard. And nobody would have said anything, or nobody would have said a thing or held it against him if he, at 85 years old, that he would have just said, you know what, I'm done. You know, this has been great. I tried, and 
My life really hasn't been exactly what I wanted it to be, but you know, I'm 85 years old. It's time for somebody else to take the lead here. I'm just going to go retire in some condo in Shalom Acres with a magnificent view of the beach. I mean, nobody would have said anything about that, and everybody would have rejoiced with them and provided a great retirement celebration for him. But that's not what Caleb did. Joshua 14, verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now here I am this day, 85 years old. As yet, I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then. So now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline that phrase. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. One of the things that I like to do as I approach a new year I like to spend time researching and really trying to study um, the Hebrew meeting of that year. So this is 2018, and so I spent time just studying what 18 means in the Hebrew language, because when you look throughout Scripture, you'll see all of these different ways that God speaks to us, and, and he uses names and numbers to really describe what he is doing. We're talking about Kibbeth HaTavah, which has this meaning of the graves of desire, the graves of longing, the graves of greed, the graves of craving. Well, numbers are very similar in Scripture, and the number 18 has kind of an interesting meaning, because it has both a positive and a negative meaning. And so the meaning of 18 is that it has this, has this, it's this transforming from something negative, from something negative into something positive. That's what the 18 means. For example, transforming hatred into love, transforming bondage into freedom, transforming death into life. That's what the number 18 means. And so as I've been thinking and praying about 2018, what God might want to do in and through my life and your life and us together and how this year might be different than last year, there's, some, there's a word that's been stirring inside of my spirit, and that word is shift. I believe that God wants to do a shift in your life this year, that there's shifts that God wants to do in your life and my life and even as a congregation. There's shifting that God wants, wants to do. And as I've been praying about that, and as I was praying just kind of in preparation for this series and what I thought God might want to say to us when he was dropping in my heart for this morning and for these next four weeks, um, I kept hearing this phrase, ask me for a mountain. Ask me for a mountain. You know, when you think about it, there's something audacious about that, isn't it? You know, it's not just, God, give me, just let me survive. Or just let me get, get through. Just provide my daily bread, which is all great and fine and dang, there's a place for the, but there's something about this ask me for a mountain that, that stirs up some audacious faith inside of us. I think there's some sort of shift that God wants to do in your life and in my life. And when I think about Caleb, that's exactly what he did. He asked God 
for a mountain, when it would have been easy for him just to do something good for himself, when it would have been easy for him just to rest on his laurels and to kind of slide in the background and let somebody else lead, when it would have been easy for him just to go through the same old, same old, same old, same old. I mean, here we go again. It would have just been easy for him to do that. But because Caleb had already gone through this stage of Kibbeth Hatavah, where he willingly died to his own desires, where he willingly died to his own longings and his own cravings and his own greed. Because he had gone through that, Caleb was able to stand there at 85 years old in this new season of life and say, God, give me a mountain. Give me this mountain. He was able to be audacious in this new season for his life. I love how the NIV translates that phrase because that phrase, that word mountain is translated as hill country. God, give me the hill country. And I find this really interesting because of all the territory that Caleb could have chosen for his inheritance, he chose the hill country. And I want you to think about this kind of in a practical, tangible way. Because when you think about the hill country, hill country is so much more difficult to occupy than flat ground. You know what I'm saying? Because when you think about the hill country, the hill country, there's a lot more places for your enemy to hide. You have the hills and the crevices and, you know, the big rocks and you have the caves and the hill country and the flat area, there's no place to hide. Everything's just flat. You can see everything for miles. Just go east of Austin and all of a sudden you get out of the hill country and what? It's just nothing, right? You go north, nothing. You go south, nothing. There's just nothing there. But here in the hill country, it's harder for, it's, it's easier for the enemy to hide as well in the hill country. In the hill country, it's harder to navigate in the hill country. Come on, you know what I'm saying? There's no such thing as a straight line in the hill country. I live over in Belterra, close over by Dripping Springs and for me to get here to the church, I have to go south and then east and then north and then west in order to get here. And it takes me about 30 minutes to get here. If I could just go as the crow flies north, it would only take me about 10 to 15 minutes here to get to this church. But because it's the hill country, there's no such thing as a straight line. And that's what Caleb was dealing with as well. But it wasn't just because the terrain was difficult. There was something more difficult about this area that Caleb chose. Look at this in verse 12. It says, you yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. See, the Anakites, they occupied this territory that Caleb was choosing. Now, for you and me, that may not mean much. So let me kind of remind you a little bit because the Anakites were Israel's most formidable opponent. These were the ones, it was the Anakites that were talked about that we just read in Numbers chapter 13, that when the spies went into the promised land to see what it was that they were going to have to contend with, it was the Anakites that they saw who were the giants, the Nephilim in the land, and they said, these people are so big that we feel like grasshoppers compared to them. That's the Anakites. So it was the Anakites that caused the Israelites to tremble in their boots and to tremble in fear and to turn back and say, we would rather be slaves in Egypt than deal with the Anakites. And so as a result, it was the Anakites that caused the Israelites to wander in the desert for 40 years. It was the Anakites who caused all the adult um, people, of the, uh, the Israelites, to die in the desert. It was the Anakites. And it was the Anakites that caused the Israelites to only go so far, just up to that point of being able to step into the promises, to see it, to even taste it, but that's it. 
It was because of the Anakites that the Israelites stopped right before they stepped into all of the promises. This were the pe- these were the people who were in this area that Caleb said, I want them. Now let me make a sports analogy here. Because in other words, this is like saying that the Israelites went on the road to play the Anakites 40 years ago. And they were completely wiped out, zero to 100. They were embarrassed. It was a rout. 40 years ago, they're completely annihilated and humiliated. But in spite of all of that, Caleb asks for a rematch. He asks for a rematch. He asks for the hardest enemies in the most dangerous territory. Caleb asks for this territory as his inheritance. God, give me this hill country. Give me the hill country. Now let me ask you a question. What are you asking God for? As you're stepping into 2018, what are you asking God for? As you're looking forward in your life, in this season of your life, what is it that you're asking God for? Because I think for so many of us, it's easy just to kind of go through the motions of life. That we kind of just let life happen to us. It's easy just to just kind of go to work and try to make ends meet and make sure all of our bills are paid, just to kind of keep up with the Joneses and the Smiths and, and to whatever the culture is. It's easy to just kind of live our lives that way. It's easy even to come to church passively, folks, and to somehow give a scorecard on how Hayden does on worship and how Pastor Russ does when he speaks. It's easy just to come to church and, and be passive that way and, and maybe just kind of, I'm just kind of hanging on until I can retire. That's easy. That's, I think, so how so many of us, that's kind of how we live our lives. But what are you asking God for now in this season of your life? Because I believe it's true. I believe there's a, a prophetic thing with 2018 where God wants to do a shift in your life. God wants to shift things, things that maybe had died, he wants to bring to life. Things maybe you were in bondage to that he wants to set you free with. That's the prophetic action of 2018. But I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't just happen to us. Even though God brought the Israelites right to the point of the promised land, it was right there. He, they still had to take steps. They still had to go into it and take it. And this is the same for you and for me. And that's why it all starts right now, right here, coming to the stage of Kibbeth Hata'avah, where you willingly die to your cravings. You willingly die to your desires. You willingly die to your longings. You willingly die to your greed. You willingly die to your right to be right and the right to have it done your own way. Will you allow yourself to come to that moment and you, you, you have this position that the psalmist describes, be still, let go, surrender. As a command, God commanded us to say, okay, I'm going I'm to surrender. I'm going to obey. I'm going to release. I'm going to let go of those things. Because, folks, if we don't do that, if we don't come to that stage of this kibbeth hata'avah, then everything that comes out of us will keep us short of the promises that God has for you. Because you'll keep thinking about and wanting things that are wrong. You'll keep focusing on the wrong things. Because what comes out of us naturally is that junk that we read about that's all so self-centered and just about us. Starting tomorrow, we're, we're starting our 21 days of prayer, and you should have had one of these on your chair when you came in. This is for you. Take it home, please. It's a little devotional, a little prayer journal. 
to read every single day. We're doing this as a prayer and fasting for the next 21 days. I want to invite you to join me as we step into these next 21 days and use these next 20 days as your point of consecration, your point of letting go, your point of decision, your point of surrender. And the reason why we add fasting to this is to shake things up, to take things out of your life that you would normally do. But instead of doing that, you're going to take the, the time to seek God, to pray. Because listen, folks, we need God. Come on, folks, don't you, don't you think? We, we need God. I, I don't want to just keep doing things as is, because I think there's more that God has for us. And so that's what these next 21 days are, are for. And what we're going to be doing Monday through Friday is we'll, we'll have early morning prayer. The sanctuary will be open um, Monday through Friday at 6.30, from 6.30 to 7.30, just as a time for us to gather, to pray together, to seek God together, and just see what he might want to do in and through us. So I want to encourage you some way, somehow, participate. We'll do a night of worship later on in the month attached to this. As well, as you can tell, we have flip-flopped the service. And we're going to do that same thing these, these next four weeks as we're in this series because I want to kind of shift you around just a little bit. Instead of, instead of coming to church just the same way as we normally do, we've moved worship to the end of service because I want you to engage now with God. You wrestle with God. What is it that you need to let go of? What is it that are the things that you need to die to, that you need to consecrate for? Um, when you came in, you should have received one of these little three-by-five cards. Everybody have one of these? You should have received one of these. What I want to ask you to do as, as the team leads us in worship, so I want you to worship. I, I don't just just sing the words, but actually worship, but as well to have this conversation with God. And use this little three-by-five card to write down everything that you need to let go of. As you step into 2018, what from your past, maybe it's 2017, maybe it's stuff further on in your past, what is it that you need to let go of and write it down? Write down all those things that you need to let go and as, as your decision point, as an action point of saying, okay, I'm going to let go of this. I'm going to release these things. And then as we worship, I have this basket up here. And what I want you to do is just take what you've written down and just put it in there as a as a kind of a, an action point of letting go. I'm letting go of the past. I'm letting go of these things. And I want to step into 2018 with a willingness to surrender, a willingness to obey, a willingness to do whatever it is that God would have me to do. If you would, I want you to stand to your feet here. And I want to lead you in, in praying as we start this, as we go back into worship. I want you to just make this your own um, dedication prayer. So just say this out loud. Say, God, today... I come into agreement with you and I fall out of agreement with others and I fall out of agreement with myself and I fall out of agreement with this culture and I come into agreement with you. God, bring me into a position with you so that you can tell me what to do and I will do it. And God, weigh my heart and where it's tilted towards self, take self off the scale. And God, today, I'm declaring that I'm willing, and I'm willing to be willing, and I'm even willing to be willing where I'm not willing. God, I let go of my own desires. I let go of my own longings. I let go of my own greed, and I let go 
of my own cravings. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship God together. I want to read this passage once more, Numbers 14, verse 24. It says, but because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. I want to suggest to you that you can be of that same spirit that Caleb had. You can, you can move forward. You can shift out of the things that have locked you and entrenched you and caused you to be stuck in the past and step into the promises that God has for you. And I really believe that, just prophetically speaking, that 2018 can be and will be a year of shifting for you. If you'll just simply come to this place that we talked about and really let go and let go of those cravings and own desires so that keep maybe the promised land just as a close arm length away but not fully entering into it. I want to have the people that are our prayer team come forward now. We always have people that are here at the end of the service to pray with you, to stand with you. And I know going into a new year, there can be lots of different things going on in your life. And I don't ever want you to leave a service like this without actually having somebody that you can stand with, somebody that can pray with you for whatever it is, the specifics that are going on in your life. So these men and women, they'll just hang out here. They'll be here um, just to pray with you for ever, however long is needed. Let me just speak a blessing over you as we launch into this new year. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you, everyone. 21 days of prayer starts tomorrow, prayer and fasting. Maybe see you tomorrow at 6.30 in the morning. God bless you. Have a great week.